Mm. We're diving into week four, Hosea. Before we start, let me just welcome uh, welcome those who are joining us online in satellite groups. Um, last week, Jill brought a word, did she not? Yeah. Can we just give it up for Jill? I don't know if she's in here or not, but Jill, you brought the word. Um, I, I need to apologize because when I divided the schedule, I did it based on dates and I didn't look at any of the themes. And I went back and I think Jill has every judgment chapter. <laughs> and I have every God loves you chapter. <laughs> and I just want to apologize and say that that was not intentional. Um, but Jill really brought a good word about what it looks like that God cares about sin. Sin is ultimately what separates their relationship with God. And you and I know that in our own relationships, right? When there's sin, uh, when there's betrayal, when there's lies, when there's hurt, sin separates us from one another, from family members, from friends, from coworkers. Um, and that's why God takes sin so seriously. Uh, he cares about our sin because it breaks us from him and he knows that we need him. He's like, it's like he's, we're on the life raft and he's like, don't break away from me. Like you need me. So that's why sin is so important to God. That's why his judgment comes. That's why he cares about us because he doesn't want to see us float away and get lost, right? And so sin is this thing that God takes so seriously. And I was thinking about this morning, do you ever just feel like stuck? Like you can't fix what's going on in your life? Like it's just bigger than you, the situation is out of your hands, the brokenness that you feel in a relationship, the brokenness maybe that you feel in yourself. Like there's just this reality of like, I can't control this. I can't make it better. I can't change it. I can't do anything about it. And I felt that, I felt that this morning. Of there's just things that are happening in our lives and in our world that we are just powerless to do anything against. And I think when we go into the message today, that's where I want us to sit. I want us to sit in the places that we feel like, God, I don't know what to do. I can't fix this. I can't redeem this. Because the message we're going to talk about today, the reality is, God is the redeemer. We are not. And Satan wants nothing more for you and I to think that all the problems in our life, the sin in our life, the broken relationships are all up to us. They're all our fault. They define us. And we're stuck in a pit and it's our job to get out. And if we can't get out, shame on us, right? That's what the enemy wants us to believe. But God in his love, says you can't fix yourself, you can't save yourself, only I can do that. And so today we're gonna meet the God of the Bible who is our redeemer, who is the only one can, that can remove our sins, that can redeem us up from the pit, that can take us from death to life. That is who our God is. Uh, when I was in college, uh, one of my roommates studied abroad in Italy, and she bought me this really beautiful purse. It was like white, and it had a little wooden handle, and I'm like pretty cheap. Some people don't like when I use that word. I'm okay with it. Um, I own a lot. Like, I love clearance shopping. I usually don't buy something unless it's like 75% off. The Dollar Tree is one of my favorite stores. Um, so I, I didn't own a lot of, like, nice things in college. But she came back and gave me this beautiful purse. And I just remember feeling so fancy. Like, I would just carry it around. I worked at a coffee shop. I'd bring it to the coffee shop and, like, lay it out. I'd go to class. I, didn't, I don't even think I had a wallet. But I just, like, you know, I had my little purse. And I felt very like fancy and I always hope people would ask like oh where's your purse from actually it's from Italy um, so anyway so I loved this purse and I also um, I loved journaling uh, I started journaling when I was 12 and since then I almost 
always carry a notebook and a pen just because when thoughts comes, when God speaks, like I want to write it down. And so I was walking one day, I had my little fancy purse, and my pen had an uncontrollable spasm. Now we don't know what happened. We'll have to wait till heaven to figure that out. But my pen exploded in my Italian white purse. And I was so sad. I had been walking for a while and I went to get something and I just saw this huge stain. And I did what any normal person would do. I tried to fix it, right? So I quick, I brought it to the sink. I tried to scrub it. Well, that just <laughs> spread her out. And suddenly my beautiful fancy, the nicest thing I owned was getting donated to the Salvation Army in hopes that another woman would want a white stained purse. <sighs> but this is such a good picture for me of what our sin looks like. Once something erupts, Jill used a great illustration like when she's talking with her husband and sometimes we say things, once sin goes out, you and I cannot bring it back. We can reconcile it, we can try, but the problem is when you and I try to fix our mess, what we end up doing is usually just creating a little more mess, right? It's like we dig ourselves further in the hole. And the invitation we're gonna see today is that God doesn't ask us to fix ourselves. God doesn't put that on you and I. Now we have invitation and we have choice, but ultimately God is the only one who can remove the stains that you and I can't remove. That is the beauty of our God. And so today we're gonna dive into this passage, but my hope for you, my hope is at the end of this you see things that maybe you've been trying to manage or fix or control yourself and you feel responsible for and you feel guilty about and you feel shame that you haven't been able to do it, that you would come to this place of trusting God to say, you're right, you're the only one that can fix this and because you're a good God, you will fix it in your way, not my way, but in your way and your way is the best. So that's my hope for us today. Will we, will we just pray with me before we dive into the passage? Lord, uh, I just invite you to speak to us in your word, God. There are things, stains in all of our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, things that have gone awry, either on our part or other people's part, Lord, but there, there's pain in the offering, God. And so, Father, I pray that as, through this message, God, you would remind us that you are the God who overcomes pain. You are the God who heals, and you are the God of redemption. So, Father, I just invite your redemption into this room. Would the Holy Spirit do his work, and would you redeem things in us that we can't redeem ourselves? In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. All right, so if you'll remember last week, Jill was talking about judgment. Um, I hope none of you left too heavy-hearted, but it is, it's worth considering our sin. It's worth sitting in it and saying, taking serious account for it instead of brushing over it. Like, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm not as bad as her. Because the problem is when we just brush it off, God's redemption doesn't feel really that great. It's like, oh, well, my sin's not that big a deal. Like, thanks for the grace, but I'm actually okay. The deeper we go into our sin, when we let us, when we let the things that we've done wrong and the way that people have hurt us, when we actually sit in that, we recognize what an amazing grace that God can fully redeem that. When we act like it's not a big deal, it's like, well, I guess you could have done that. Maybe a counselor could have done that too, right? The more we identify the things that we've done wrong, the deeper we have an appreciation and realization of God, you are amazing, you're so for me. And so we saw this passage of judgment and I don't have it up on the screen, but there's a lot. Hosea's smart, he's a poet, he's a good writer. <clears throat> so he creates this rhythm 
where he brings judgment and he says, um, I will take back my wool and linen intended to cover her naked, naked body. I will expose her. And then he says, therefore, I will take away my grain. So he's just, he's, he's spitting judgment at her. And after a few lines, every time he says, therefore, and he keeps the judgment going, right? So we just got in a roll of judgment of like, this, 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 therefore, this, 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 therefore, consequence, consequence, consequence. And so we're just continuing right along. The verse before where we're starting today, God says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the balls. She decked herself with rings and jewelry. She went after her lovers, but me, she forgot, declares the Lord. Remember, that was, that was that offense of when we forget the Lord, when we ignore him, how painful that is. And then verse 14, where we're gonna kick off today, it starts with therefore. And so you and I as the readers, if we're seeing this, we're like, okay, she forgot you, therefore you will forget her. That's the natural logic, but let's see who our God is and how he responds. Verse 14 says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. Some of you, I don't know the kind of homes that you grew up in. I don't know the parents you grew up with. I don't know the God you grew up believing in. But some of us have a tendency to put God always in a box of judgment. That's the God we know. The God who's the sin patrol monitor, who's always watching when we do something wrong and wants to, to correct us. So God is spewing judgment. And then we see God's tender heart. This is who our God is, a God who cares, a God who sees you. Do you see the romance in this passage? God's going to allure her. God's pursuing Israel. He's pursuing Gomer, and he's pursuing you and I. You see, when we are in our deep places of shame and sorrow, when we're, when we're entwined in sin, when we are chasing after other things, God comes to us with a gentle spirit and his desire is to allure us away to be with him. Have you ever been in a fight with somebody and you say something mean and they say something mean and you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this? That usually doesn't create in me a desire to do anything differently. When I'm in a fight with somebody and I say something mean and they come back in sincere, genuine, loving kindness, it disarms me. It puts me in my place. The Bible said the Lord's kindness leads us to repentance. God is not up there shaking his finger at you. Why you shouldn't have? God wants to allure you. He wants to draw you in. He wants to get away with you. You see, the reason that God wants to go to the wilderness is because the God of the universe does his best work in the wilderness when you and I are not distracted by other voices, when we're not chasing other things, the wilderness is where God first married himself to Israel. It's where he first invited them to be his covenant people. It's also where Jesus went for 40 days to be tested to prepare him for his ministry. John the Baptist went to the wilderness to get ready for the call that the Lord had upon his life. God is drawing her to the wilderness. He's saying, come. And then I love this, he says, let me see speak tenderly to her. Have you heard the tender voice of the Lord? So often you and I, and maybe I just speak for myself, but so often my voice towards myself is harsh and critical. I expect myself 
to know things, to get things done, to do things right. I get frustrated when I don't when things don't go the way I want. The Lord's voice is so tender. And here, here we see the God of the universe romanticizing Israel, Gomar, and us. Not when they deserve it, not because they deserve it, but because of God's love. And then this is what I love. Verse 15 says, there I will give her back her vineyards. Remember he took them all away in wrath and he says, no, no, I'm gonna give them back. Your oil, your grain, your wool, your flax, whatever you need, I'm gonna give them back. And then he says, and I will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. Um, the Accor means trouble. And the valley of the Accor harkens back years ago when Achan was disobedient. God said, I will bless you as the Israelites entered the promised land and he gave them rules about that. He said, I don't want you to take the possessions of the people that you conquer. I want you to trust me for those. And Achan selfishly took the possessions and hid them. And so when they went up against Ai, they were defeated. And Joshua said, why did you bring us here if you're gonna let us get destroyed? And the Lord said, you have not been obedient to me. Somebody has taken possessions. You need to call them out clan by clan. And when you figure out who that person is, they need to be stoned and you need to burn the possessions because you did not trust me. You trusted other things and this is what it's cost you. And so the Israelites would remember this place of deep sorrow when this family was stoned because they trusted things more than they trusted God. And God says, I will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And I just wonder for you today, what is your own valley of trouble? What's your valley of Accor? Where has there been pain? Where have you been wounded? Where have you done things wrong? Where have you chased something else that you thought would satisfy that was against what the Lord wanted? This is the place that the Lord wants to restore. He wants to turn the valley of Accor into a door of hope. Because you see, that's who our God is. God uses our mess to become our message. God uses our places of brokenness. He restores them and then allows us to minister. Um, I had a dear friend in high school who struggled with a pretty severe eating disorder. Um, it lasted, I wanna say three or four years and um, she, by the grace of God, uh, found a counselor and got healed just in the power of the spirit and worked through some of her eating issues. Um, but ever since that day, ever since she was healed and restored, she has been a beacon of hope to women around her that struggle with eating disorders. And there are so many women over the years, other friends, colleagues, people I've been in church with that come to me uh, who are struggling with an eating disorder and I always send them back to my friend because she has a ministry. She knows what it's like, she knows the battle and she walks women through God's healing presence. She encourages them, she enters into their pain with them and can speak a word of hope to them in a way that I can't, I haven't been through that. But she has. God wants to take your very valley of a core, the very part of you that is broken, that feels shamed, that has cost you. God wants to take those places in you and I, and he wants to turn them into a door of hope. What is your valley of trouble? Will you allow God to show you how he can transition that into a door of hope, allowing him to take that brokenness and making it new? And so if you're taking notes today, the first point I see is that we serve a God who restores what is broken. 
We serve a God who restores what is broken. There are things in our life, there are times where you and I get broken and we break things in people. If you've ever had a broken heart, you know what this means. God, t- God wants to take those things that you and I mishandle, mismanage, and make them into something new as testimony can come out of. It says, there she will respond and in the days of her use as in the days she came up out of Egypt. He's referring to when he delivered the Israelites from slavery. They crossed through the Red Sea and they praised the Lord. They said, you've redeemed us. After 400 years of slavery, you brought us out and you set us free. God wants to set you free. Whatever has been lost, God in his goodness, in his power, in his sovereignty is able to restore. What do you need God to restore today? That's the first point. Uh, We're gonna carry on, verse 16, it says, in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the balls from her lips. No longer will the names be invoked. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. And then get this, he says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Second point today, we have a God who restores what is broken. Second thing is we have a God who wants to betroth himself to us a God who wants to betroth himself to us. Now some of you will have to jog back to get this illustration. You might have to go back to elementary school, middle school, high school, college, you pick the season of your life. But have you ever had a crush on someone that just felt so far out of your league that you didn't feel worthy of actually even entertaining it, but it was fun to entertain? My crush was a man in college. His name was Alfredo Antonio Machado. And he was a dreamboat. He was far out of my league. He was smart. His mom was British. His dad was Colombian. The whole package, you know? Um, but I had such a crush on him. And I just, I always, whenever I was around him, I would get so nervous. And I just, I would try to like hide parts of myself. I wanted him to think I was perfect. Um, but I always felt unworthy which is more about me than him, but I, n- I didn't feel like I was good enough. Now, when God says he will betroth you to him, this should send off a little bit of a warning signal because God is perfect. God has never done wrong. God can't do wrong. God, in essence, is way out of our league. He's beyond us. He's above us. We can never be worthy of that love. And so when it says, I will betroth you to me forever, God's saying, I'm choosing you. Not you're choosing me, I want you to choose me back, but I'm choosing you. God is inviting us into a marriage covenant, the deepest covenant that humans can hold. That's why marriage is so sacred. That's why sex is so sacred to God because it's supposed to seal the most holy, intimate covenant that you can experience on this side of heaven with another human. It's a gift, it's holy, it's awesome. It's a mystery how God makes two one. And God is extending that invitation to Israel, to Gomar, and to you and I. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I think of that, it feels a little heavy of like, 
whoa, I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if I'll be a good spouse. Like my heart is prone to wander. I've been known to chase other things. But this is the part I love about this passage. None of this is about us. God doesn't put any requirements on Israel. He doesn't put any requirements on us. This is all about God. This is God's character to us. He says, I will betroth you to me forever in righteousness, which we know God is right, he's 100% righteous. In justice, God is a God who is just. In love, he is the very definition of love and compassion, that luring heart. God shows up on the scene and he says, I wanna marry you. And he says, it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't even matter what you're bringing into the marriage. Because of who I am, I am faithful, I want to be faithful to you forever. Now guys, sometimes in our life, we can just overlook this and think, oh yeah, well like, yeah, I know, like Jesus is my husband. We can take it really lightly. If you've grown up in the church, those these are expressions that we've used, but this is such a beautiful invitation that God would choose to be in covenant relationship with you and I forever, that he wants to betroth himself to you and I. So I wonder today what it would look like for you. Imagine that you are in your natural space, your house, your living room, your workplace, and God comes to you and he gets down on one knee. You can choose the diamond of your size and choice. And he says to you, will you marry me? Will you marry him? not based on who you are, not based on what you've done. Will you receive his unconditional love for you? Will you allow him in his goodness to bind himself to you? No longer will you call me master. God calls us his bride. He calls us, he invites us to call him our husband. Um, Isaiah Isaiah 54, five says, for the maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. God wants to be your husband. Will you say yes to his invitation? Moving on, we're gonna dive into verse 21. It says, in that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies and they'll respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain, new wine and olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. So the first thing we learn is God restores what is broken. Second thing is, God wants to marry you. He wants to betroth himself to you. Will you say yes? The third thing is, we serve a God who can reverse the curse. We serve a God who can make newness out of what once felt like death. He says, I will respond to the skies and the earth and the grain and the olive oil. And we go back to the names here. Jezreel is his first son's name. It says, they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant for her myself in the land. Um, Jezreel, if you remember, has a double meaning. God scatters and God sows. And so here, God is reversing the name of God scatters. He's redeeming the name Jezreel. And he says, I will plant her. I will sow goodness into her. And then he reverses the name of the daughter. He says, I will call I will show love to the one I called not love. And then he says, I will show, I will call not my people, my people. We serve a God who because of his power, because of his authority, because he's the creator of heaven and earth, he alone 
can reverse the trajectory of our paths. Um, my first, my first uh, real heartache uh, came from a man that I dated and uh, he was a good man, uh, but he, he told me, he said, I don't ever want to marry somebody who is called to ministry or wants to be a pastor. And at the time, I was not a pastor, um, but I felt a real call from the Lord uh, to choose God or to choose this man. And I chose God, and I walked away from that relationship, and it was the first time my heart had ever been broken so deeply. I'd experienced rejection, I'd experienced pain, I'd experienced these things before, but my heart felt like it broke wide open. And I remember sitting just sobbing one day in my room, and I said, God, why would you do this to me? Like, how would you let me get this far? And then just to ruin me. And I'll, I'll never forget what God said. God said, Coley, I've allowed your heart to break into a million pieces because I am going to restore it, and then you will know that I am the God who restores. And it, it did not happen quickly. I spent a year uh, working through anxiety, depression, and counseling, trying to just, it was hard for me to believe that God could actually heal something that felt like it was the end of me in that season. And I'll never forget, um, a year or two later, I don't remember the timeline, I had visited a friend's church, and the worship leader at that church had written a special song for the congregation. And the lyrics of the song were, Though your heart is broken in a million pieces, I will restore it. It was a line that another worship leader had written. It was not a well-known song, but I saw that verse and it had been enough time and I'd seen that my heart had been restored. And ever since then, that brokenness in me has given me such a sensitivity to women who go through heartache. Um, who women who go through divorce, women who lose a child, women who go through that intense emotional pain, I've been able to hold space for that and have compassion in a way I never was able to before. In fact, I was actually a pretty bad friend in high school and college. When girls went through breakups, I grieved for a little bit with them, and then I was like, come on, there's other fish in the sea. I would kind of move them along in their process, not acknowledging how really painful maybe that was for their heart. But because of what I went through, I know that we serve a God who can redeem and restore and reverse Whatever we think is irreversible, I thought my heart was never gonna get put back together again, that I'd never love again. And God slowly but surely rebuilt it into something that he could use for his glory. God wants to reverse the worst of what's happened in your life, the worst of what you believe about yourself. That's exactly what God wants to use to bring about his redemption. And I know that it was God because I tried for months and years to try to fix my own heart and it was nothing that I did. I couldn't do anything to put those pieces back together. The Lord alone could. And that's what the Lord wants to do for you. There are things, there are parts of your story, there are parts of your past, there is trauma that has happened to some of you that I just wanna tell you is too big for you to fix on your own. There is a God of the universe who wants to enter that and redeem you out of that. We serve a God who can reverse the curse. What is the curse that you think and believe will never be fixed? Maybe you think, I'll never be able to buy a house. I'll never get married again. I will never be able to forgive this person for what they did. Invite God to do the impossible because only he can. You and I can't, only he can in his power and his goodness. 
And our last point today, we're gonna go into the story of Hosea's reconciliation with his wife. Um, I'm realizing we're a little short on time, so we'll go a little quickly, but uh, it says, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a leketh of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man, and I will behave the same towards you. So God calls Hosea to go purchase his wife from the, from the slavery block. You see, Gomar's love for other things, the way she tried to fix a broken heart was to just fill it with other lovers. She ran after other things, anything that would fill that void, that pain, uh, she chased after. And what happened is she ended up getting enslaved to it. So she ran after other lovers to be loved, but instead of loving her, they ended up using her in an even deeper way by selling her off, by making money out of her. Talk about feeling used. Talk about feeling unworthy. And so we have Hosea who enters the scene. The Lord calls Hosea to go and buy back his own wife. And it says in a commentary I read, the reason that he only paid half in cash is because that's all he had. He only had 15 shekels. So he had, to get, he had to gather up everything else. So he took everything that had value to them, their lifelong savings, and he went back and he purchased her to be his bride again. But he didn't purchase her as a slave. He purchased her and he invited her in. He says, you will live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any man and I will behave the same towards you. Notice if you read this deeper, if you read it in a different version, he says, you must not be intimate with any man. They had a time of celibacy. They had a time where they did not have sex together. And that is because Hosea was redeeming what had been broken in her sexuality and said, I will love you even if that's not a, a part of our relationship. It's not about what I can get from you. I love you because of who you are. Hosea redeemed Gomer, her dignity, her worth, her value by bringing her back into a marriage covenant with him. And that's exactly what God does for us. God in our sin, when you and I were on the slavery block, when we were chasing other things that we thought would fill us, Christ died for us then. Not because we were willing, not because we were worthy, not because we'd earned it. Jesus Christ died for us while we were still sinners and Jesus paid it all. Jesus took his own very life to buy you and I back from slavery and then he invites us into a marriage covenant with him. That is the redemption of our God. Notice none of this has to do with us. Gomar didn't do anything to earn this, to deserve this. We don't even know in the story if she wanted Hosea back. She was simply on the slavery block. Anybody could have taken her and used her and bought her for anything. And Hosea, in his love, came and saved her and restored her. That is what Jesus does for you and I. So no matter what you've done, no matter the affairs you've had, the abortions you've lived through, the theft you've created, the betrayal you've experienced, I don't know what your past is, but I know that we all carry some pretty heavy things. And all of us are like Gomer. 
in some way. All of us are on the slavery block. We've done things wrong. We've been hurt. We've chased other things. And God, in his love, says, I want to betroth you to me forever. It's not because we're worthy. It's because he's worthy. And his love saves us and redeems us and redefines us. That's why it's so important to me that you speak the word beloved over yourself because it's not anything you and I have earned. We didn't do good enough to be loved. God's love came for us. It chased us down and it restored us. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. He's good. And so today in closing, um, I have a gift for you. One of our leaders, uh, Lydia, Lydia, you can come on up. You can give a round of applause for Lydia as she comes up. Um, Lydia is one of our Bible study leaders, and she, uh, the Lord wrote a song through her, uh, through the book of Hosea. And Lydia um, is so gracious, and she's so humble, and with fear and trepidation, she came to me one day, and she said, hey, God gave me this song. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it, but I really feel called in obedience to just tell you about it. And so I got, to, I got the privilege of hearing her um, sing it for me. And so I've invited her to come and sing it for us. And what I want, uh, what I want you to do as she's singing this, uh, it's straight from God's word. I want you to sit with God for a moment and I want you to consider his invitation. Him down on one knee saying, will you marry me? What does it look like to betroth yourself to God, to allow him to love you, to allow him to become who you are, to recommit to that marriage covenant of God, you're all I want, you're my first love, I receive it. And so I'm gonna ask Lydia to play her song and as she sings it over you, will you allow the Lord his love, his redemption to wash over you. That's my prayer for you. Lydia can lead us. Let's give it up for Lydia. That last line is where I want to leave us today. It says, you will know the Lord. The Lord's greatest desire for you and I and for him is that we would know him. That we would know him. Not like an acquaintance, not like a coworker, like a husband in full transparency, in intimacy, in commitment, and in faithfulness. That is God's invitation to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who never stops pursuing us with your love. 
God, I thank you as Lydia sang that song, just the reminder that you want to betroth yourself to us, us in our brokenness and our unworthiness and our pain, that you choose us to have a loving relationship forever. God, the security that comes from that kind of invitation is beyond what we could hope or ask or dream. And so Lord, I pray this week, uh, that women here and watching online, I, I pray, God, that we would say yes and that we would return to our first love and that you would be our husband, Lord. So we thank you for your goodness. Pray that you bless our time and community. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.